Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's continue our journey through Acts. We've arrived at chapter 25. Paul, as a Roman citizen, while he's on trial, has the right to appeal to Caesar, and he's going to get his way. This is Acts 25. Three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. The chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed, asking for a favor against Paul that Festus summon him to Jerusalem. They were, in fact, preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. Festus, however, answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was about to go there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those of you who have authority go down with me and accuse him if he has done anything wrong. Let's talk about this. Two years have gone by between Acts 24 and Acts 25. That means for two years, these dudes who took a vow, there were 40 of them originally, we don't know how many there are now, who took a vow not to eat or drink until Paul was dead, have just been waiting for their chance to take Paul down. It's never held water. They've never been able to rightly condemn him. Paul is still wrongfully imprisoned, and they have waited two years. You'd think they'd let it go by now, but now they're still trying to ambush him and kill him. They're still trying to take him to kangaroo court, and now there's new leadership in town. Uh, Festus has been appointed uh, to be the, the, the successor to Felix. Okay, so you go from Felix to Festus. These guys were considered procurators. At one point in the Roman Empire, you have this dude who's put in charge who's like 17 years old. He's not trusted. He's not old enough yet to really rightly govern an entire province. And so you have these procurators, these governors who are set up. Felix and Festus are procurators. Now there's a new show in town, and here's Paul's chance to speak to the new dude. Okay, while he was under, while he was under Felix, Felix would sit, sit, sit there and listen to Paul and secretly wait for Paul to bribe him. And he listened to Paul. He liked what he had to say right up until Paul started talking about, about judgment for sin and stuff like that. That's a turnoff. Don't talk to me about, about that. Now there's a new sheriff in town and the Jewish authorities immediately try to appeal to this, this new governor, this new procurator to get Paul killed. And if he won't kill him, then they're going to try to ambush him and kill him. Their plot to get Paul taken back to Jerusalem where they could murder him, ambush him, doesn't work out. Instead, they've got to go play by the rules. Here's verse 6. When they spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, seated at the tribunal, he commanded Paul to be brought in. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove. Nothing sticks. They've still yet to rightly condemn Paul. Then Paul made his defense. Neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I sinned in any way. His conscience is clear, but being innocent doesn't absolve you of suffering in this life. And none of us is truly innocent anyway. But in this regard, Paul sticks to his guns, and rightfully so. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to be tried before me there on these charges? Paul replied, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even you yourself know very well. If then I did anything wrong and am of deserving of death, I'm not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then after Festus conferred with his counsel, he replied, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. So Paul sticks to his guns, knows his innocence, and even, this is interesting too, 
doesn't try to rebut the death penalty, but uses the death penalty to convey the severity of how badly he wants to stand by his own innocence. Like he's willing to face the death penalty if that's what it takes to still stand by his innocence. So he, he doesn't make a case here against the death penalty, rather he uses it to convey the seriousness with which he doesn't, he doesn't avow any of the charges that have been made against him. He is completely innocent of everything that they've accused him of. He insists upon his right as a Roman to go before Caesar. And so what was prophesied over him is now coming true. It was revealed to him that chains waited for him. He's in chains now. It was revealed to him that he was going to die and he will die in Rome, but it won't be until Nero is in charge. You can see kind of a glimpse at this. Thank you, Paul Watt, for giving me this other, more extensive, and the thing must be 25 feet long. I saw it on display at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, DC. Now I have a copy of it right here on my desk. We'll look at it later. You can see how it won't be until Nero is the emperor that Paul would eventually stand before the craziest emperor ever give a futile defense, but nonetheless share the gospel. And he wasn't just sharing it with Nero, he was sharing it with you, because you're reading about it now in the book of Acts. You stick to your guns. You know if your conscience is clear before God and men, this doesn't absolve you of ever being accused of anything. All right, ask me how I know. If you confess what you've done wrong, and if, you, if, you're, if you're wrongfully accused, then you stand by your confession, you stand by your clear conscience. Paul has done that. He's acknowledged that while he was on trial, he straight up hit the hot red button between the Pharisees and Sadducees, evoking the resurrection as a division point between them. And as a result, the Pharisees came to his defense. But other than that, he has not done the things that he's been accused of. These guys were way off. And when he was first arrested after the mob in Jerusalem, it was asked, aren't you that Egyptian who led the assassins of some 4,000 men into the wilderness. Like, boy, that was not Paul at all. I, I saw some Gentile dude with Paul. He probably took him to the temple. Paul de desecrated the temple. Like, none of this stuff sticks. They're shocked when he speaks Aramaic. They're shocked when he speaks Greek. They're shocked when he, when he appeals to Caesar. All the while, this kangaroo court around him is chaotic, but Paul's conscience is clear before God and man. There's something freeing about that. Paul was, in a very real way, more free than any of the people who had him on trial. The, the person who was really in authority here is the sovereign God who was watching over Paul. Because if you'd recall, God prophesied this to Paul. This was spoken over him before. What was prophesied earlier in the book of Acts is now taking place exactly. Now he's appealed to Caesar and he's going to Caesar. God is sovereign over all of that stuff. He's sovereign even amidst the chaos. Are you in legal trouble right now? Is somebody trying to sick Caesar on you? Somebody trying to sick the highest authority in the world, which in their world, their God, with lowercase g, is the state. Are you in legal trouble? Somebody's coming after you. Would you look at the way that Paul kept his conscience clear before God and man? Would you look at the way that Paul appealed to his rights and stood by his innocence? He did not compromise, he did not settle. And as a result, he would have an audience before the highest court in the land. What might God accomplish through your current affliction? Again, Christian, we see Paul testifying to the gospel, maintaining his integrity, even amidst an appeal to the emperor of the biggest, the biggest empire in the world at the time. If Paul can maintain his testimony in Christ in these circumstances, then you can risk rejection by the water cooler in talking about Jesus. 
Okay, if Paul can go all the way to the seat of the Roman Empire itself to share the gospel, you and I can bring up the gospel with our neighbors. We can do this. The stakes are so much lower for us than they were for Paul, but the gospel is just as much alive for us as it was for Paul. This is what God can do. This is what your God is capable of. He brings Paul to the most influential place in the world with the gospel. What might he accomplish through you? Let's live out the book of Acts together. Are you ready? Go.